0: I love this time of year I, I love christmas we 're one of the families that gets the decorations out day after thanksgiving and i didn 't know the snow was coming today woke up just it was beautiful, beautiful drive in. I love these songs. I love these decorations you know we 've got so many great like probably a lot of you a lot of great Christmas traditions, so I absolutely love this time of year um, it 's also this particular week is also one where a lot of us have very heavy hearts. I was in my office on Thursday and I got. Uh, knocking the door. It was Jason. He said, have you heard yet? And I hadn't heard yet. I hadn't heard about the accident that happened right down the road on 96 and 10 where three high school students were in a car and two of them died and one's in the hospital. And I think about this time of year and I think about those families and there's probably stockings that had already been hung. There's probably um, gifts that had already been purchased and, and certainly hopes and dreams that didn't include this. So please keep those families in your prayers and thoughts. And and, uh, that makes today, um, and the scriptures that we're going to be pressing into today, it makes it all the more real as we press into Christmas. And today, as best I can with the time that we have, I want to explain why I have hope in a world where there's this much pain and this much darkness. We started a brand new series last week, and we're looking at this iconic scripture, this prophecy that's found in the book of Isaiah chapter 9. And there's these titles that are ascribed to this child that was going to be born. Titles of wonderful counselor, an everlasting father, and prince of peace. And today, in God's sovereignty, he has us looking at mighty God. That's the title we're looking at today, on a week where to juniors in high school where my kids, my kids are in the district, in this district, you know, where they lost their lives. And if you haven't already, if you want to take out this blue insert, there's a place to write this down. Here's, here's a question. If God is mighty, if, if in the way we worded it here, if God is almighty and he's all-knowing, where was his salvation on Thursday? Isn't that a question that seems fair to ask? If God knew this was going to happen, if he could have stopped it, why, why didn't he? Uh, it, I've got my family here today. It's great to see you guys. Um, I was thinking about this accident, and I was thinking about all these things, and there's so many questions that we don't have answers for. I was roughly the age of these girls when my own father died, and my sister Kim and I, they asked us to share a little at the funeral. And there's a lot of things that I don't believe anymore that I once believed as a high school student. A lot of my views have changed. Um, but one thing that's remained the same is that I still believe death is an enemy. Death's an enemy. And that's right in the scriptures. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says the last what? The last enemy, the last enemy to destroy it is death. I don't know why God hasn't He created the world the way he has. But today, as best I can with the time that I have, I want to again explain why why I believe there's hope for us and that hope rests in a child and that hope in that child is expressed so well through the words of the prophet Isaiah. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open with me to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. Isaiah 9, 2. And even as you're turning in there, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free today. Each and every week, we keep a stack of Bibles there at those tables at both of our entrances. Those are for you. Please take one as a gift from um, our church family to, to yours. I got the great news again that we're almost out of Bibles. We had to order another shipment. So I'm so thankful that you've been taking us up on that offer. The, the word of God is a gift. So please take one of those home with you today. All right, these are the words of the prophet Isaiah uh, chapter nine. Verse two says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them a light Had shined this world can be really dark can't it and the words of isaiah spirit inspired words of isaiah says there's a light that that has shined and then come these iconic words to us a child is born to us a child a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father And Prince of Peace. Again, last week we focused on Wonderful Counselor. What does that mean? What does that look like today? Let's press into Mighty God. The Bible is filled with references about God's might. They're all over the pages of Scripture. And these references sometimes are very hard to embrace in a world where then, God, why didn't you? Why didn't you do this? Well, um, we wrote down our, uh, our, our first talk point. Sorry, guys, I'm jumping all over the place. I'll get back on track here. That God, If God is all-knowing and almighty, where was his salvation on Thursday? If God is all-knowing and all-powerful, why does he allow tragic deaths? Why does he allow so much evil, pain, and suffering? And what we see in Isaiah is that sometimes, sometimes, the answer is clear. Sometimes God allows hard things to happen because they're the natural consequence. That should happen. And this is how Isaiah opens up. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to the beginning of Isaiah. Sometimes people deserve what they get. And we see that in Isaiah. Let's take a look. Isaiah starting verse 1, I mean chapter 1, verse 2. We looked at verse 1 last week. Let's pick up with verse 2. Here's how Isaiah opens this. And, and if you're, as you're turning there, if you're not already there, uh, those of you who aren't familiar with this, this text in the Bible, this is an ancient document. It goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. And it has a real historical context. We talked about that a little bit last week. And the real historical context of this real document was this, that that hundreds of years before Isaiah said these words, God had delivered the children of Israel out of slavery, a real event. He had delivered them out of slavery into the promised land. God then made a covenant with his children, and he was faithful to all of his promises, all of them. God revealed himself through signs and wonders. He provided for their needs. He gave them his life-giving law. He drove their enemies from the land that he had provided. God was faithful to the people. And yet, the people betrayed their God. They ignored his commands. They didn't follow his ways. And so then Isaiah opens his vision with this. He says, hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared, and I've brought them up, but they have what? What does the word say? They rebelled against me. I raised them up. They rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner. The donkey knows its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Then he goes on. He says, ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. So Isaiah, he opens this whole prophecy, this vision. He opens up with this contrast. He says, here's the Holy One of Israel, perfect in all his ways. He's done all these things. And what have the people done? They've despised him. They've rejected him. A day of the Lord's coming. And they deserve this. These people in this time, in this place, they deserve this. This is from Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12. The Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, it shall be brought low. And as God promised, that time came to pass. And the mighty nation of Assyria invaded Israel and darkness filled the land. Let's fast forward now. We're going to fast forward to the verses that lead directly into Isaiah 9-2. So this darkness has come. It was a deserved darkness. Assyria invades the promised land. And we read in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22, they will look to the earth, but behold darkness, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick (coughs) darkness. And I'm reading these words and I'm thinking, you know what? If Isaiah, the book of Isaiah ended right here, chapter 8, God would have been just. He told them what would happen. They transgressed anyway. He would be perfectly just for Isaiah to close right here. You guys get what you deserve. Is that where Isaiah ends though? It doesn't. And this verse literally flows right into, the thought continues right into the passages that we talked about with these the light shining. Let's take a look at this. Picking up with... Chapter 9, verse 1. And this was fascinating. In one, um, one of my sources that I looked at, they said that in the ancient Hebrew text, it, they don't in the most ancient documents, they don't have the numbering system we have, but in this ancient one that we do, this ancient text that we do have, the text, Masoretic text, the, it, it, the numbering continues in chapter 8 with this verse we're about to read. It's just fascinating. So this thought just continues from what we read. But there is now no gloom for her who was in anguish. No gloom. In the former time, God brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. In the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And I'll just let you in and be honest with you. That's the kind of passage I usually normally just skip because I'm like, what is going on there? I can get the one that came about the darkness and the gloom. I get what's coming about the light. What is all of this? For the first time in my life, I dug into this text, and it was fascinating. If we leave this up on the screen for just a minute or two, let me unpack this for those of you who haven't ever dug into this text before. If you're a person who is concerned with justice, these words should be very unsettling because this is very unjust. God is not, in this passage, giving them what they deserve. He's extending grace. They don't deserve this. They don't deserve the light. They don't deserve these good things. This is grace. God is doing something that that is not, at least if you're straight going by the law, seems unjust, seems like amazing grace. He's about, he's making a prophecy. Something is going to come that you don't deserve. Something is coming that you don't deserve. Zebulun and Naphtali were two tribes Of Israel. And these two tribes of Israel were each given specific land. And guess when Assyria invaded, guess which land was some of the first that was hit and some of the land that was hit the hardest. It was that land from these two tribes. Interesting. And when Assyria came and conquered this land, they divided that land into three districts. None of this has come to pass yet. This is all prophecy. And the three districts they divided this land into were the way of the sea. Does that sound familiar at all? The way of the sea. The land beyond the Jordan. Does that sound familiar at all? Something we may have just read like a couple minutes ago? And how about this? Galilee of the nations was the third. Those were the districts. So here in the land that was among the first hit the hardest hit, when all this darkness came, this is where the light was going to shine when that child was born because Jesus ministered early on in the region of Galilee. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. Jesus' base of operations for much of his ministry was Capernaum, which was on the sea. These people were not only going to be receiving amazing grace, Isaiah prophesied, this was going to come to pass exactly as God said it would. Is God almighty? Yeah. He can move nations like chess pieces on on the board. Just as he promised, almighty God was going to bring light into this darkness in the form of a child. Exactly Where he said he would. And that is the intro then to verse 2 of chapter 9, which reads, the people who walked in darkness had seen a great light. And those who dwelt in this land of deep darkness, on them light has shone." Almighty God, who works all things for good, proved again that his plans, his purposes will come to pass no matter how dark it seems. One of my commentaries I was looking at this week summed the situation up like this. They said, choosing their own way rather than God's way, trusting in human glory rather than God, the nation has plunged itself into darkness. Instead of having the protective canopy over them and being guided by the pillar of cloud and lighted by the pillar of fire, they're in confusion, they're in darkness. They're the prey of the very nations they trust in. But that is not where God intends to leave them. This is where this amazing grace comes in. In the very areas where the Assyrian conquest began, there, God promises that light will dawn. The people of Israel, they've done nothing to deserve this. It's nothing but God's what? His grace. Almighty God's compassion for his people cannot be hidden. Can I get an amen? God's compassion for his people cannot be hidden, and it cannot be overcome. Let's jump way ahead. Isaiah testifies to this. Isaiah chapter sixty-two. We're going to the near to the end of Isaiah. Isaiah sixty-two verse one. Look at the look. At, this is the words of God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Look what he says. He says, "For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent." And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness. Was she righteous? No. But tell her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nation shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem by the hand of your God. You shall no more be called forsaken. Your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight It's in her for the Lord delights in you. And then jumping ahead to verse one of chapter 63, God puts his stamp on this and says, it is I speaking in righteousness. And then what does he say? Mighty to say, I can save you. I am mighty to save. It looks dark. It is going to look darker. Because as history progressed, Assyria is no longer a threat. Assyria did come and conquered. It was horrific. Then Babylon came and conquered. It was horrific. Is God in the midst of the deepest darkness mighty to save? Yes, he is. And nowhere do we see the intersection of God's great might and his great compassion like we do at the cross. Because it's not just the children of Israel. need a God who is mighty to save, is it? It's all of us. All of us. You may recognize the words I'm about to read, and many of you know where they're found. They're found in Isaiah. Isaiah writes, all of we like sheep have gone astray. Remember that word. We have turned everyone to our own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who is the him that he's referring to in the future? It's Christ, it's that same child that he prophesied of. What was going to happen with every one of us is we were going to owe a debt that we could not pay, a debt that was so consequential that only the sacrifice of this child, this amazing grace, was going to be enough to overcome that. The good shepherd would have to lay down his life for his sheep. And I know now we're going to start going into some Easter themes, but Christmas and Easter, you can't separate the two, right? Um, Every year as a church going into easter like we do going into christmas. We we take a whole season We don't want easter ever to just be an interruption at this church pleasant interruption, right? Where it's felt need felt need felt need ooh easter, you know, let's talk about that But we try to take that whole season going up into easter to try to prepare right and how cool would it be some year We've got to do this some year. We got to take isaiah As we get ready right and look at all these amazing prophecies from isaiah that were fulfilled in christ Let me just give you a teaser A teaser. Let's put side by side. Let's look at the passage we just read about all we like sheep going astray. This other side, the side by side we have, these are the words of Jesus of Nazareth. That child, when he became a man, out of his lips, he says these words. And again, just like we read earlier in those prophecies about God and who he is, now we see coming from the words of Jesus, his love, his compassion for us. Jesus says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone what? Astray. Does that language sound familiar at all? It does. I hope it does. Does he not leave the 99 on the mountainside, and he goes and he searches the one that went astray? My brothers and my sisters, if you're sincerely seeking God, he is a God who in those dark times, he hasn't left or forsaken you. And you may not know where he is. You may not understand what he's doing. I'm there often, often. But he's a God that can be trusted. He delights in you. He searches after you like a good shepherd would search after that sheep that went astray. Whether it was deliberate or whether it was by accident or just not even knowing who this God is. We've said this before in here. I mean, there are things in life that wouldn't hurt any less even if they could be explained. But there's a good shepherd who knows your name. He delights in you. He seeks you out. And he's mighty to save. And he's mighty to save. In this world, we're going to grieve. But the good news is we need not grieve like those who have no hope. Earlier this week, before I had even put much thought at all into the rest of this message, I felt impressed upon me three phrases. God is, God will, and God may. And I didn't know exactly what was going to happen with those, so I just kind of typed them in and, and let them go. It makes more sense to me now. God is mighty to save. He is. He's orchestrated that through history. And if your hope is in a God who is mighty to save, one day your healing will come. One day, justice will be served. One day, your faithfulness will be rewarded. One day, your tears will be no more. Can I get an amen on that? In Christ, one day, your tears will be no more. And one day, you will be reunited with all the saints. Can I get an amen on that one? One day. God is mighty to save. God will Bring to pass everything that should come to pass. We live in the May time. We live in the May. As we present our petitions to God, he may answer the way that we long for him to answer. And he may not. That's the time we live in right now. And this is why it's so important to remember this next piece. And I encourage you to write this down in your notes. Remember this. Almighty God is also the Wonderful Counselor. He's also the Everlasting Father. He's also the Prince of Peace. You may want to circle that word also if you're taking notes here. He is also these things. This, I don't know if I can get this out, what's up here, but I'll do my best. If you detach mighty God from those other things, you basically have got Santa. Because if you believe there's an almighty God who's not those other things, then basically he's a God that if he's God, he should fulfill your wishes. Does that make sense? But God isn't just mighty. He's just not able to do all things. He is also the wonderful counselor. He is also the everlasting father. He is also the prince of peace. And there's a place to write this down in your notes and write fast on this one because I'm going to unpack this really quickly here. Disappointment awaits those who disappoint God disappointment awaits those who disappoint god let's talk about the word appoint to appoint is to put someone in a role that's what you do right when you appoint someone you place them in a specific role the word the prefix dis i had to look up cuz me grammar is not so good all right so i here's here's i looked this one up but dis is a latin prefix and it means apart it means asunder it means to reverse And then look at these examples. Aren't these examples of exactly what happens when we think this is who God should be? All these are true. When we think this is God, we get one piece of God, but we take the other pieces and we just ignore those. I guarantee these other words will be true of your relationship with God. If, If you disappoint God, if you appoint to him, ascribe to him characteristics that are not of God, or if you take away things that are, then you're going to be disappointed. It's going to lead to disbelief. You're going to be disrespecting him. You're going to be discontent in your faith. You're going to be disheartened by what you see. You're going to dislike and disown a God like that. When we disappoint God in our lives, these are the things that follow. And I'll be the first to admit, I can't count the number of times in a week where I disappoint God where I point myself as the wonderful counselor. God, this is what you should do right here. In fact, I'm going to just name it and claim it right now. God, here, I'm going to prayer walk this thing. I want this thing to, when that may or may not be, what's right? Everlasting Father. How many parents we got here? About what age do they start pushing back hard? As soon as they can talk, right? You know, um, And they want to be the parent, right? They, they, they were like, here's what you should do, Mom and Dad. I remember 45 minutes with my youngest when she was barely enough to talk. No, let me tell you something, Dad. Oh, This is not okay, right? How many times do we do that with God? No, God, I know better than you know. These boundaries you put around my freedom? No, this is what my curfew should be. I do that way too much. I appoint myself as the Prince of Peace when I think I'm going to Things are going to be more peaceful if I ignore the Sabbath. Things are going to be more peaceful if I keep more than you've told me to give. We do this, don't we? We disappoint God. And disappointment and disbelief and discontentment wait for those who disappoint God. Because God is also wonderful counselor, everlasting father. And Prince of Peace. And I encourage you to write this down in your notes. Salvation awaits those who place their requests before Almighty God in childlike faith. In childlike faith. You know, it's so easy. Some of us have been taught to place our prayers and our requests above God, right? Before God. Like, God, if you're really there, then answer my prayer. Instead of with childlike faith, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Childlike faith in that time, in that place of Jesus, because he's the one that said, hey, I have childlike faith. It meant that you were humble. You were a place of humility. It was a state. Childlike faith was a state. You were the lowest on the totem pole, basically the lowest on the totem pole. And so childlike faith is saying, God, you're the wonderful counselor. You're mighty God. You're the everlasting father. You're the prince of peace. Help me to trust you. Help me to trust you and your ways. Childlike faith requires us to trust that God is the wonderful counselor whose ways are higher than our ways, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Any guesses where you find that in the Bible, by the way? Maybe. Isaiah? Isaiah? Take a look at this. This is right out of Isaiah. Isaiah 55. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Childlike faith helps us to trust that God is a wonderful counselor, who wants to help us align our lives with his good plans and purposes. Childlike faith helps us to trust that he is mighty God and he will bring to pass all that should pass. Childlike faith helps us to recognize that God's motivation comes from a perfect father's love. And childlike faith empowers us to trust that God knows our deepest longings and he truly is our prince of peace. God is mighty to save. And here's the thing about his salvation. Like any good gift, you can receive it or you can what? You can reject it. And that's something no one can do for you. You've got to receive or reject this gift. So here's our invitation, not just during Christmas, but all the time. There's a place right in in these notes. We invite you to experience God with us, to experience God as wonderful counselor, mighty God everlasting father and prince of peace. Why do so many of us in this room have hope in a world that's so dark, in a world where disappointment comes our way daily? Because to us, a child is born. To us, a son has been given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will become wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. Well, today we have a special opportunity to receive this as we receive communion. So at this time, I want to invite the worship band to come forward. And one of the things that we do typically here at our church is we have some prayers that we all pray together as we prepare for communion, prepare our hearts. Because this is not like magic ritual at all. It's got to be real, right? It's got to be real. And so one of the things we try to do is have some prayers we pray together before we prepare this. And this I came across this. I'm reading a book this week called "The Good and Perfect, or the Good and Beautiful Community." And I came across this quote that speaks to the, the power of, of um, saying prayers together and singing songs together. And when I read this for the first time I teared up, listen to these words: "When we sing, or when we pray together, the community Reminds me of who I am. We are bound by a common story, and we, or as we, oh my eyes! I'm 48 today, by the way, so, you know And as we tell it, I'm gonna have, I, I already bumped up. To, I used to have 10 point font. I'm up to 11. Man, I'd to go to 12. So much for the dramatic here. As we tell it, we are reminded of our true identity. We are set apart from the ways of this world. Can I get an amen? We are the ecclesia. We are those who have been called out from the world. We're the light of the world, the salt of the earth, a city on a hill. And as we read these words together, as we pray these words together, as we sing these words together, we're proclaiming this together. Amen.